You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Hi, everyone. I'm Danielle. I am joined here by Janelle Woods McNish, who is the Director of Service and Giving at Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Foundation, where she leads the company's employee giving and service initiative across New England. And in this role, Janelle oversees and promotes and implements as just a basic steward for all employee and volunteer opportunities and fundraising for charitable causes. Harvard Pilgrim has such an impressive volunteer participation rate. I almost, it's almost unheard of. 96% of employees are engaging in service or giving activities at the organization. And last fall, the team at Common Impact had the pleasure of partnering with Janelle to create Making Good Happen at Work. We're doing it again this year in the fall, which is an employee service and giving convening targeted to small and medium-sized businesses because social impact and purpose is not just for the big guys. And fun fact about Janelle, in her spare time, she is a beauty queen and plays second runner-up at the 2018 Miss, Mrs. International held in Charleston, West Virginia, um, among many other things. She's, I'd say in short, the real deal. Thank you so much, Janelle, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So Give us a sense of how you got to where you're at. You're the director of service and giving at Harvard Pilgrim. Was this your chosen career path? How did you end up here? Actually, it was not. It was really by taking a risk. I, my background is actually in higher education. I went to school thinking I was going to work in academia and quickly realized that while I had a passion for community, first generation students of color, uh, the work um, that I wanted to do was not in a higher education setting. So I came in contact with the recruiter who said, I have the perfect position for you. You have the skill sets. And I took a risk um, really starting at a company that I knew nothing about, a health insurance company, and um, really was able to build an employee service and giving program at an organization that was mission driven and really committed to the community. So that little risk really allowed me to fall into, quite frankly, what I know I'm meant to be doing, which is connecting corporations to community. And over the past 12 years, I've really helped build the program here at Harvard Pilgrim, which focuses on allowing our employees to give back in ways that are meaningful for them and to really be local in the communities in which we do business. So when you started, how do you think about what to build first? It sounds like, I mean, right now, Harvard Pilgrim has such a robust and successful 
service and giving program and it was much earlier in its life cycle when you joined. How did you think about what to prioritize, what to build first, what was going to be successful, what wasn't? The beauty of, of, of the program was that there was one program in particular that was actually there. So um, that's the one element that I didn't build but helped enhance, which is our mini grant program. Super unique in that it provides $500 to any nonprofit of our employee's choice. It's not a matching program. Um, it's not a volunteer program. It's really a program that allows our employees to be grant makers. So really starting from something that was already in existence and really leveraging that in terms of visibility around the program, in terms of impact that it could actually make in communities, and really taking that and communicating that value to our employees and making it quite frankly easy for them to give was the foundation to then expound upon that and say, hey, you gave $500. Here's other ways in which you can, one, learn more about the community in which we live and work, but also ways in which you can actually meaningfully give back to those communities. And one of the programs that you really built from the ground up and how we met originally was through your skills-based volunteer program. And you know, I've been in a lot of conversations with folks at companies and nonprofits over the year where the idea of lending talents and expertise is, you know, a great concept, but hard to implement. And folks um, can sometimes struggle to take the second step. But I remember in our conversations, you just had a fire in the belly for deploying and engaging employee expertise for community good and social impact. Where did that passion start for you? How did you think about that at Harvard Pilgrim? Well, one of the things that really started it was how I've been engaging since day one with our employees, which are some of the most incredible, giving, um, smart and passionate people you'll ever meet. And I truly believe that our number one resource and value as an organization is our employees. So being able to take that resource and provide opportunities to enhance the capabilities and the impact that local nonprofits make was really a no-brainer for me. Um, it definitely took some time convincing and, and creating a structure that worked with our um, culture and work environment. So uh, really working with Common Impact to figure out that process was very fun. Uh, but for me, it was easy to get my head around the idea that we have a very valuable resource that could really benefit communities, but could also enhance the skill sets of our employees. And it was really just about figuring out the best model to do so. And did you find that the employees understood that they had expertise that was really needed? I'm always surprised by it, you know, these folks that are so incredibly talented and have such capacity to, and skill to give their, their biggest question is always, I'm not sure if I have something that a nonprofit would need. Did you face any of that when you were building momentum for the program? Absolutely. And what I found was that people didn't even know some of the skills that they actually have that they take for granted, such as, for example, speaking skills or project management skills, because they would say, hey, I'm not a project manager. But in reality, you actually project manage all the work that you do. So it was a lot of aha moments for our employees who entered in um, a little apprehensively, but were willing to to try their best and, and help support nonprofits who then came out feeling a lot confident about skills that they had and some skills that they took for granted. But also, I would say a really deeper understanding of the nonprofit and really a sense of 
of fulfillment for actually being able to contribute something in a very meaningful way. And how do you think about this as your part of your philanthropic strategy? Because it's a clear win for employees and for engagement and professional development of employees. And it's also such critical capacity building support for nonprofits. Curious how Harvard Pilgrim thinks about the ways in which you're supporting organizations. I know you have a couple of focus areas and types of missions that you like to support. How do you think about that right now? We we really look at it as a way for us to be local, Um, being a regional uh, health insurance company is really important for us to really be um, present in the communities in which we serve. So for me, it's it's a part of our portfolio um, or continuum of ways that we can give back in both small and substantial ways, both one time and ongoing and longstanding ways. So for me, it's really a part of that portfolio to not just um, do one day of service and then leave, but just to have an opportunity for for our employees to engage in ways that support what they want to do, but also that, quite frankly, benefit the community and not just in a one-time way. So there are a lot of companies in this game now. The skills-based volunteering is one of the fastest-growing corporate engagement programs. I think about 60% of companies have some sort of skills-based volunteer program. And most of those companies are really large. They are the Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies that can resource the partnerships that are involved, the capacity that's involved and having their employees step away from their desk to do pro bono work. And they do see the business value. It is net positive from a business value and a financial perspective always. Um, But it's been much harder for small and medium-sized companies and nonprofits to get involved and curious how you made it work. Yeah, one of the ways that I really was able to introduce this internally, because it is a big commitment or can be a big commitment, uh, was to pilot it. I love the word piloting because it allows people to to dip their toe in the water and get a sense of it and then want to jump head first after they get a taste of skill-based volunteerism. So we piloted it with um, a group of nonprofits in which um, we um, value deeply and we did it over a shorter term. So it was about a two to three month process. So this allowed us to get some wins and to articulate the value and really show how um, employees could participate and, and really be involved in this type of initiative um, and still meet the business needs. And after that, I got to go ahead to really um, pursue this more. And the model that we actually use now is, is a little bit of a hybrid in which we focus on a um, one day, so similar to the Skills for City model. Uh, but that allows our employees to, um, to really be able to, to focus on business and to focus on, on um, this type of project. But this, the piloting really allowed us to, to introduce this internally I and mean, get the buy-in from the key stakeholders that I needed to HR, um, our CEO who chairs our, our board, and also some key um, employee ambassadors to really spread the word about this. And so now it's actually not hard at all to, to get volunteers to sign up. I actually sometimes have a waiting list. It really was valuable to really test it and have that key success and win early on and to be able to articulate that internally. Yeah, one of the biggest barriers that we see is that folks just can't visualize it because it's a new model and using expertise. You know, the pictures of skills-based volunteerism 
are people sitting around a conference table, right? Um, people sitting around a desk in meeting rooms, and it's hard to understand the power of it without experiencing it. So it's such a smart strategy. Would love to hear, speaking of making it work, I've always so admired your ability to choose your commitments wisely, to say no gracefully, to do the things that you do say yes to really well. Tell me and our listeners how you think about shaping the commitments that you make and how you fit it all in. So I I do things that I love exclusively and that give me joy. So it's, I would say, very much so from a selfish place. But I've been pretty clear uh, over the last couple of years about what uh, are my values and what are the things that I really feel passionate about. about. And I actually wrote them down. So here I have like four areas in which um, are of importance to me. And when I get asked to participate, to serve on a a board or chair an event or volunteer um, at an initiative that takes time um, away from any of those four things and does not fit into that one of those buckets, I gracefully say no. And I say no because one, it's not part of my purpose or, or mission, even though it would be an amazing cause. It's not my purpose or, or, or path that I should be on. But more importantly for me, when I say no, it allows other people to say yes. Um, oftentimes I find that when you say yes to everything, you actually deny other people's the opportunity to say yes. Um, and so it actually makes it easy for me to say no, because I know that if I say no, it's not the end of the world. There is not no one else that could do exactly what you just asked me to do. There actually are people who this actually fits into their purpose and passion and mission. And so I, I'm actually allowing someone else to do that and actually opening up a door for someone else. For me, that makes it a lot easier to be clear about what it is. Um, I'm passionate about and it's part of my mission and path, but then to also let others be able to lead in those areas that they are passionate about. So tell us more about your mission and your path. What are what are those things that you say yes to? Um, anything dealing with um, young girl empowerment. So I'm a stickler for um, young girls and 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 um, motivating, modeling, and 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 embracing all the beauty of the leaders that they are. Um, I am a big advocate of um, ending and raising awareness about human trafficking. Um, in my professional life, anything around corporate social responsibility. So um, I am keen on mission-driven organizations and organizations that are committed to to not just being a good corporate entity, but also a good corporate citizen. Um, and then my family involves a whole nother bucket. So <laughs> anything related to them, I'm like... Soccer is included in that space because my kids are both soccer players. So anything uh, soccer related, even though it's not one of those other three buckets, is is definitely the thing that I have to always say yes to because my kids love it. So uh, those are kind of my four four buckets, if you will. Tell us more about the focus on human trafficking. I know you are the founder of I Am Valued, which is a movement to raise awareness of and end human trafficking. And this is one of those issues that's hidden and is much more prevalent even here in the States than people realize. Tell us more about what connected you to this issue and the work that you do here. Yeah, I actually um, met a young girl who was a, a victim of human trafficking. Um, and quite frankly, she looked like an average at the time she was 12 year old girl. And it really took me back because I, I had this image myself of, of who it impacted, where, where it happened and really 
was blown away by her story and quite frankly, the matter of fact way in which she said it, it was really just a way of life for her. Uh, it became clear that one, there was a story to tell and to, to raise awareness about this issue, but two, that often um, as someone who was a survivor of, of human trafficking, it's hard for her to tell her story. So it's actually important for someone like me who can share their story without having to re-traumatize um, the person that was impacted, the survivor, if you will. Um, so it, it allowed me to use a voice, my voice in a way that would also be able to share stories about how people are being treated, um, who the real perpetrators are in this process, but also to help end it and really um, make sure that our world is a place where all girls are valued and not viewed as a actual dollar value. So that's that was kind of my story, one girl. And ever since I will, uh, the end of time, be telling people about this issue and really working to make sure that it doesn't happen. For folks who are listening in and want to help, want to support, are there ways that we as individuals could spot the signs? I mean, that story strikes me as really, it's terrifying, really, right? That it, you wouldn't, if she hadn't shared it, have any sense that she was in this situation? How can we look for the signs of this? Yeah. One of the things that I, I, I've been clear about in my space is that I'm a voice and I'm not the um, the the response um, person. There, I think there's a, there's a clear skill set and heart and, and compassion around this that I just don't have in terms of um, everyday work, but there are amazing organizations doing that work. Um, my Life, My Choice, uh, Jane Doe. There's some amazing organizations that are, are are doing the groundwork in terms of supporting girls who are victims. There's some amazing stuff being done by airlines, and that's one of the things yeah. that we can continue to to advocate for and support airlines who are doing trainings around this and who are training flight attendants to see warning signs. Um, and so those are the things that I, I like to try to amplify. Uh, it's actually a hard thing to do as an individual person, but there's amazing organizations that are doing the public service announcements, that are doing the trainings, that are working hand in hand um, with these young girls to help them become survivors. Um, and quite frankly, um, to criminalize and to continue to criminalize the actual criminals in this process, which are those individuals who actually pay for um, and purchase these young girls. So um, for me, it's it's around supporting those who are actually doing the work on the ground. Can you share some of the uh, work that the airlines are doing? I found that so compelling. It's Delta, right? And I would say even some places like hotels, you wouldn't even think about, but hotels are actually um, doing work around trafficking and uh, organizations like the Super Bowl, where it ends up having a huge influx of people into one area are working with the police and with um, local officials, hotels, et cetera, to really provide opportunities for girls, like putting information on soap bars, for example. Um, so should they want help, they actually know where they can go. But American, um, actually, pretty much all the airlines at this point are actually doing trainings around how to spot um, someone who may be a victim of trafficking. And, and there's actually been multiple cases where they've actually um, had people caught and really helped save lives in that process. So I think that those are amazing efforts that are that are um, easy to do and quite frankly should be automatically part of any flight attendant training or any um, airline personnel training to actually be an identifier because they come in contact with so many different people. 
Um, but those are different measures that are really, I would say, newer on the horizon that I'm just so proud to see is actually happening. So we're talking about all of the work that you do and that, you know how you think about your priorities and what you say yes to and what you say no to. And it's still so much. You have so many responsibilities. You're leading so many initiatives. For the folks who are looking to build their career, a lot of our listeners are either new to their career or at a career pivot. What would you tell them in terms of prioritizing and making sure that they are not letting the urgent drown out the important? That's a great question. I I think early on you were told to do everything, and I actually don't think you should. I think you should do those things that add value to you. Um, I find that the things that energize me the most while it may take time actually don't drain me physically. Um, so that actually does help me a lot. I, I think the things that drain you and take up too much time are the things that actually um, are what keeps you preoccupied and actually not focus on what you should be achieving. Um, I, there's some real technical things that I do. Like on Sundays, I look at my week and I look at the schedule to say, not just what am I, like, what's my schedule looking like, but what is the goal of each of these meetings? Um, what am I hoping to get out of these meetings or, or interactions? Not everything is a meeting. It could be just catching up with someone and that's as valuable as a meeting with an agenda. Um, so I really try to, um, when I have time, I try to utilize it and try to really be thoughtful about that time. For my sex, I know I'm super busy, but also for others as well, you don't want to waste people's time. Um, if there's a specific question you want to ask, something you want to make sure you don't forget, really thinking about those things ahead of time and not being in the moment. And I found when I do those, that really Sunday kind of a trick, if you will, um, it actually, my, my week flows, it really flows. And then there's some things that I've realized on my calendar, I may be able to either put off, it's not a priority, or, um, maybe something that I don't need to do right now. So looking at that week in terms of the goals of each of the activities that I'm doing or meeting or interactions is actually very helpful in terms of how I best manage my time. And of course, though, there's weeks that life is crazy. Um, but in all of it, I really do try to say, when can I actually breathe? Are there moments in the day, at night, when I can breathe? And if it's not, then I actually have to really reevaluate my schedule and say no to some things. Right. Making sure that you're focused on what is ultimately important and those moments of restoration that you need for yourself in order to lead, in order to come to conversations and initiatives with a, a powerful mindset and an abundance mindset. It, it's actually, it doesn't necessarily take that much time. It's just creating the space for it, right? Like uh, one of the things that I've started to do is instead of checking my emails and responding to emails on the subway ride into the office every morning, I just do a walking meditation. And it's it ends up being so much more productive because I'm clearing my mind to allow for when I actually get to my desk to know what emails I need to respond to and what I don't and what can wait. And um, there's just kind of a clarity and it's 10 minutes, right? But it doesn't um, it, it's really powerful in terms of what it does for your prioritization. So tell me, um, you know, I, I, we're heading into, and this is a kind of shameless plug, one of the things that Common Impact and 
that Harvard Pilgrim have partnered on in the past is Skills for Cities. And we're gearing up for another annual event. Skills for Cities is our citywide day of flash consulting where we bring together the talent from companies and the talent from the nonprofit sector to solve collective challenges like civic engagement and participation, like disaster resiliency, like food scarcity, and would love uh, for you to share a little bit. You know, you, Harvard Pilgrim has its own skills-based volunteer program, and it also helps you to really because you're so passionate and connected to skilled volunteering as a model that works well. Um, it was participating in Skills for Cities as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that model and, and what worked for your employees there? Yeah, it was an incredible model. I actually, it's one of those things that even having done skill-based volunteerism, I couldn't visualize how it was actually going to all come together. And as brilliant as Common Impact is, it came together amazingly well. Um, this this idea about um, having a very succinct problem that nonprofits are really, quite frankly, kind of the pebble in the shoe, if you will, um, something that it's a problem, it may not... It, may not be something that's completely stopping the operations, but really is a thorn for them. And having employees really sit down and mull around with it and actually come up with some options was really something that our employees valued immensely. It was a small amount of pre-work done, um, more really getting a chance to know the nonprofit. But every employee that participated in that program um, came back ready to, to, to fully engage with the nonprofit. For, for some of them, they had never even heard about the nonprofit. Um, and so they were super excited about learning about a new organization and really the work that they were doing. But what they found even more fulfilling was the fact that they actually was, were able to come up with a solution. So really in a, in a relatively short time frame, they were able to hone in on, on their own skills and expertise and come up with something that the nonprofit could then use to leverage and hopefully focus on in terms of solving larger um, initiatives or problems for them. So it was a great way um, in a very succinct time frame to to focus on an issue that really helps a nonprofit. And and I'll say this time and time again, without Common Impact, it wouldn't have been possible because there is a lot of work that has to be done on the back end to actually vet the nonprofits, come up with a, a scoped project, really um, make sure that the matching of the nonprofit and the employee worked really well. Um, but when it is done well, and it was definitely done well, um, there's this amazing um, product at the very end that uh, I was really pleased to see could actually happen in a very short time frame. Well, and one of the things that I love about Skills for Cities is that it brings together professionals from different companies and, and they're often working on the same team together and that has been of benefit to the employees uh, but also to the nonprofits right like HR at Harvard Pilgrim looks a little different than HR at Fidelity and uh, the the breadth of perspective that these employees are giving when they're working together and learning from each other, right? Things that they can bring back to their desk. There was real magic in that. And I wasn't sure how that was going to play out, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And it really, it really worked nicely. And it was just one of those moments where folks were coming together and they dropped not only the their sector titles, right? I'm a nonprofit professional. I'm a corporate professional that was dropped, but also the, 
um, the court, the singular corporate perspective that often employees are asked to work within created a space for new innovation. And it was just amazing to watch it unfold. Yeah, it was, that's an excellent point. That was um, one of the added benefits to your point that I think really um, enhanced our employees' experience. So tell us, because you've talked about so many different dimensions of your work, and I know you answered the question, but I still have no idea how you do it all. <laughs> tell us one thing that folks would find surprising about you or that they wouldn't expect when they meet you. That's a great question. Like, I'm a... I'm a true soccer mom. I think people, um, they see, I do pageants, I'm a professional, I'm in the community, but like, I love like being an Uber driver for my kids. Like, I love being the one that like cuts the, um, the oranges and has the apples and the caterers. I love that. Um, Peace, Excel spreadsheets for like their travel games. I'm that mom. But, um, and, I, and I'll complain about it like in public, but like, Equally, I love it. I love this um, part of the of, of our my journey with my kids. Really enjoy it. What's the best part of your day? The best part of my day is actually um, sharing my day with my kids. So they will always ask me, "How's your day, Mama?" And then I, I think half half the time they ask, they actually don't expect me to tell them about my day. Um, but I do tell them about my day in terms of really what what I was able to do, what impact I had, what I learned. If it wasn't a great day, so I really I like. Um, the age that my kids are to be able to share that with them um, and really kind of debrief the day with them. And then if it wasn't a great day, I leave it there. Um, and, and that really helps me. So if folks want to learn more about what you do, Janelle, or what Harvard Pilgrim does, where should they go? They can definitely go to um, our website, harvardpilgrim.org backslash foundation. Um, that will show you all of the various things that foundation does, which Part of my work, all my work is employee service and giving, but we have an amazing grant making program which focuses on increasing access to healthy food. So you'll find information about that, videos, um, photos. Uh, it's a really great resource tool to really see all the, the amazing work that we're doing in the community. Fabulous. And if folks are interested in participating in this coming year's Skills for Cities, we're doing one in Boston, New York, and likely Houston. Go to commonimpact.org and you can check out some of the work that Janelle was sharing and we'd love to have you there. Thank you again, Janelle, for sharing a little bit of your story with us. It's just been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.